Hello and welcome to another socially relevant episode of Saved by the 90s. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today is a man who never forgets to wash his hands for at least 20 seconds. Ken Bakley. Hey, Ken. Hello. With all the insanity happening around the world recently, we thought it might be fun to take a bit of a cinematic journey through current events this month. By the way, of four 90s movies that feel oddly and perhaps frighteningly relevant. You would not believe how fast this episode came together. <laughs> it, yeah, it was kind of... I mean, uh, it was all you, Adam. It was all you that, that you suggested all these titles. There was one that we had specifically in mind. And then I said, how are we going to come up with the other three? And you came up with them immediately. So I give, as often, so much the credit for the show working at all to you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. We begin this journey with a thriller involving a rogue Russian submarine that may be attempting to start a war with the U.S. Directed by John McTiernan and released on March 2nd, 1990, this is The Hunt for Red October. A great day, comrades. One of your submarine captains has gone insane. We sail into history. He wants to defect. Are you willing to bet your life on that? See it. Sean Connery, Alec Baldwin, The Hunt for Red October, rated PG, now playing. A new technologically superior Soviet sub, the Red October, is heading for the U.S. coast under the command of Captain Marco Ramius. The American government thinks Ramius is planning to attack. A lone CIA analyst has a different idea. He thinks Ramius is planning to defect, but he has only a few hours to find him and prove it because the entire Russian naval and air commands are trying to find him, too. Old Jack Ryan action to start this month off yeah what's your are you a, a jack ryan fan you big jack ryan guy i'm not a big jack ryan guy i know it you know in a broad sense but yeah uh this is good this is a good movie i agree i i, I like submarine movies you don't have a lot of i'm beginning to realize that i like submarine movies there's not too many of them there's not too many of them mm-hmm. out there i think the other the other big one crimson tide I think that's a better one than this, but I think that this is, it's pretty serviceable. I think it's, it, it's, it's a little odd when it begins. Cause you see, you're seeing like Sean Connery and Sam Neill and they're speaking Russian and you're just like, Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> are they going to, but they do not have Russian accent. No, they don't. And, but, but at first, cause, it, cause for the first like five or 10 minutes of the movie, they're just speaking Russian and you're like, they can do Are they going to, fully commit to this and then like right after that there's like a conversation that that um he has with one of the other uh crew members and they drop the the russian and for the rest of the movie they're pretty much speaking english in their regular old accents well sam neil tries he tries to do the (laughs) russian accent but it doesn't really work for him and you've got to love Connery not even trying. Yeah, Sean Connery's just like screw it. He's just like I'm just going to do my Sean Connery. Everybody knows what I sound like. I'm going to do my Sean Connery voice. That's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Sean Connery does a famously great Sean Connery. He does. I it was funny because it's been a while since I've seen a Sean Connery movie and as I was watching this all I could think about was like is he is he like hamming it up in this movie cuz it seems like he's sort of parodying himself. And I know that's not the case, but it was just because it was so long since I've seen a Sean Connery film. It was kind of fun to to go back. And he, of course, he killed it in this too. He was yes, he was absolutely. really he, he was really really great in it. And very large cast in this too. You have like Courtney B. Vance in there as Jones. And 
I barely even with with his character. You hear him before you see him. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, there's Courtney B. Vance. And then when they show him, you're just like, whoa, he looks so. That's, that's he's like Courtney a child. B. Vance? He's a child. Yeah. In this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Tim Curry in there also, who I'm pretty sure is almost top build in this. You have Sean Connery, Alec Baldwin, and then like Tim Curry's like third build, and he's barely in it. <laughs> he's not in it too much at all. But of course, he's, he's he looks very young in this too. Mm-hmm. The same with Stellan Skarsgård as uh, one of yeah. the uh, yeah. Russian captains. So overall, I think it's a it's a really fun movie. It's it's pretty tense as most submarine movies are. Mm-hmm. I like the I I like Jack Ryan's stuff. Um, I don't know if this is like one of my favorites, but uh, certainly like Clear and Present Danger and uh, Patriot Games. I wasn't a big fan of the sum of all fears. I think that was the Ben Affleck, Jack Ryan mm-hmm. one. Yeah. And I, I'm kind of digging the show the on Amazon too, the John Krasinski one. I've heard that's good. I've heard it's good. I didn't, I started the second season, but I didn't watch the whole thing. It, it's good. I just, for whatever reason, had to move on to other things. I'll come back to it, but. On the Wikipedia page for the Jack Ryan character, you under the occupation parameter, you get the obscene list of things that he's become in the Tom Clancy novels. <laughs> president, vice president, national security advisor, deputy director of the Central Intelligence Ag- Agency, CIA acting deputy director for intelligence, CIA special assistant to the DDI, CIA analyst, professor, U.S. Naval Academy, certified public accountant, stockbroker, and Marine Corps second lieutenant. Wow. that That is an impressive resume. Mm-hmm. For Mr. Ryan, I mean, I definitely we, read that in the wrong order that you're supposed to read. You're, my answer is supposed to read it going up and leading to president. But I like the idea of him starting as president. And, yes, and, and then, then ending and, as a certified public accountant. Yeah, uh, I like that. It's a good character. It's a very malleable character. I think the Jack Ryan is a character. He's almost an everyman, but he's you can sort of mold him into whatever you need him to be in any given story. Like in this, Mm -hmm. in this movie, he just happened to know a whole lot about ships and submarines and stuff like that. Like he seemed to know Mm -hmm. more than some of the captains that he interacted with. Yes. And we're so fortunate and they're so fortunate for him knowing that. I thought it was interesting that this was rated PG. I sort of, when we were putting the list together, I was like, is that right? Is this really pg rated and sure enough it is it's long but i was kind of surprised it's, and in, it's a good kind of long though you know i did make some joke to you as i tend to do when a lot of our movies that we're viewing in a given month over two hours i'll like make some joke about that to you this is a this is a very nice long movie it's yeah. nice that it is that long it wears 135 minutes very well yeah i i think that the I mean, certainly the pace is is very, very good in this. There's There are very few lulls, and I think that everything is very evenly paced. It starts with, you know, uh, Sean Connery and his crew taking the submarine, the Red October, out. So, I mean, it, it there's very little setup involved. It just, all of a sudden, they're just taking this new super sub out and about, and it just kind of kicks off. Uh, there's not a lot of time spent like introducing Jack Ryan and his life and all of this stuff. It's just, it sort of gets right into the the meat of it. And I think it does it in a very sort of 
organic way where it, it doesn't feel rushed, uh, but it doesn't also it doesn't feel like there's too much setup going on either. Yeah, and it's a pace that's reasonable, but it's a pace that's at such a point where you can't even begin to fathom a 135 minute like studio blockbuster of today being paced like this especially when there are really few like action set pieces in this like you're not having these big you know bombastic action moments where there's lots of explosions and stuff i mean there are thrilling moments certainly there's a shootout that occurs there's you know some torpedoing that's going on but very few like big it's almost incidental in a way like it's just part of what's happening rather than the focus of it which is you know since we're uh in like in this current like age of what like uh, an action movie looks like or what like a movie like this is supposed to look like it feels very strange to experience that this seems to be based on maybe not a true story but Mm -hmm. mm, hearsay or i guess maybe some sort of legend or conspiracy theory or something involving this according mm-hmm. to the opening crawl i didn't really look into the true supposed true story behind this but according to the opening crawl it's just like maybe this happened <laughs> in real life everybody denies it but it seems that a lot of people think this did happen i would imagine it's about as based on true events as the famous documentary the blair witch project is <laughs> yeah it could be yeah yeah, what I one of my favorite trivia items that I encounter while reading about uh, this movie is that it comes out in March 1990, uh, when the Cold War is essentially almost over by that point. So they had, and so what the thing that I read makes it sound like is that when they sit, add that title card that says it's set in November of 1984, that was just to cover for that. Like otherwise, it was supposed to be set in the present time, in the contemporary time of its release. But by the time it came out, its own setting was largely outdated. Well, when you see it, you're just, it doesn't feel like 1984 to me at least at all. It it felt. Yeah. They had to, they had to backdate it to a like particularly tense period of like the late part of the cold war. Yeah. But when you see it, you're, this movie does not scream 1984 to you at all. It feels, it feels, uh, even though it was 90, it didn't really feel like an eighties movie. It felt more like a nineties movie to me at -hmm. least. But and it was not supposed to be set in 1984, is my understanding. Right. So, uh, either uh, way, I thought it was, uh, it was a pretty good time. Again, I'm still a little partial to Crimson Tide, but this one, this one's still pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I enjoyed this uh, as we as we chose this. I guess to represent in some way the concept of Russian interference. I thought it was fun. Like, so of course, you know, Jack Ryan. He comes up with this great scheme. He knows almost immediately that they're looking mm-hmm. to defect, even mm-hmm. though there's like no indication of it. And I'm wondering, like, what did Sean Connery, his character, like, how was he thinking this would play out? Because if Jack Ryan wasn't involved, they'd all be dead. <laughs> <laughs> they would just straight up be dead. Yeah. No, it, it, it's uh, it's very lucky that they have the most qualified president vice president cia director the acting deputy director for intelligence special assistant to the ddi cia analyst u.s (laughs) naval academy professor accountant stockbroker and second lieutenant in the marine corps in history to figure that out i wonder wonder how old he was by the time he hit president because my that's a lot of careers yeah my vague recollection is that 
at not having read any of the Clancy books at all, but just vaguely knowing, like, reading like the Wikipedia page of the character, I believe he's supposed to become president amidst some kind of crisis. Like he like is vice president and then like succeeds after some kind of uh, some kind of tragedy. I don't know. I think I still prefer the Ford, the Ford Jack Ryan. Mm-hmm. I think that's still my preferred portrayal, but the Baldwin Ryan was yeah. was fine too. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Next up, we transition from Russian meddling to a presidential election with an adaptation of the book. <laughs> <laughs> with the book. what an idea for those! What a what a <laughs> magical idea for those to be separate and not like yeah <laughs> the same complete nightmare of unraveling democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an adaptation of the book chronicling the 1992 campaign of bill clinton directed by mike oh but it's obviously not the character names are all different. oh it's yeah it's completely different yeah you're crazy if you think there's any similarities uh this mm-hmm. is directed by mike nichols and released on march 20th 1998 this is primary colors from mike nichols director of the birdcage comes the story of a man <laughs> who said yes to destiny i'm gonna win this thing but couldn't say no apple fritter honey please popcorn to anything else governor jack stanton seduced me i do not have time for ineptitude well, this has to be handled just right just right john travolta what's he governor of again emma thompson does this guy have a chance in hell no, no. primary colors rated r starts march 20th in this adaptation of a best-selling book that may or may not be about Bill Clinton's 1992 run for the White House, the young and gifted Henry Burton is tapped to oversee the presidential campaign of Arkansas Governor Jack Stanton. Burton is pulled into the politician's colorful world and looks on as Stanton contends with his ambitious wife, Susan, and outspoken advisor, Richard Jemmons. So, Adam, what do you think about the Mike Nichols-directed, and I want to say right from the start, the uh, Elaine May written, the great Elaine May, Primary Colors. It's fine. I thought uh, it was it was fine. <laughs> I I never saw this Nichols before. and May. Yeah, Nichols and May. I, I never saw this before. This was the first time watch for me. I remember when this came out and it was it was the talk of the town when this mm-hmm. when this first came out. And I didn't really have too much of an interest in it back then. S- same with uh, I think Bullworth came out around this time i love bullworth too and i, I haven't seen it in a while and but I, I remember it being great and i remember i didn't really have much of an interest in bullworth either but uh so re-watching or watching this for the first time now um i thought i thought it was it was fine i thought that it was there were some funny moments it felt very reminiscent of what we would see later in shows like veep or mm-hmm. um in the loop or or this the stuff that um Armando Iannucci yeah. would do like these sort of political comedies or even what even like what Adam McKay is doing now. Mm-hmm. I think that in a lot of ways, this was sort of like a precursor to that where it had a lot of. Uh, I mean, if you mention Adam, if you mention like the it influencing the broader work of Adam McKay, then it makes it sound like this movie had a very negative pop cultural impact. <laughs> yeah, no, Right. But um it doesn't it doesn't it's not structured the same way or anything like that with with it no it's, i mean it, uh, it's it's much more straightforward and uh-huh it's it's a pretty standard political comedy and i thought for the most part it was it, it worked i thought travolta did a pretty decent job as as jack stanton i'm doing air, yes. air quotes here jack stanton mm-hmm. uh, travolta apparently said at the time that he had 
based based his performance off multiple presidents, but mostly Bill Clinton. I don't even know why you throw in multiple other presidents. What on on what planet would that even matter? Yeah, it's just I, I bet he was say, saying that just to like cover his own ass yeah. about mm-hmm. possible <laughs> like backlash mm-hmm. from this, or maybe even just trying to say, well, it's really a movie about all of politics. I mean, it was so clear. Every character, yeah. every character in this is yeah. There is a direct parallel. Yeah, you hold a mirror up, and Emma Thompson is Susan Stanton, aka Hillary Mm -hmm. Clinton. And it it was interesting because I think that this may be like the first and last time I ever heard Emma Thompson attempt to do an American accent. Mm -hmm. And it just did not work for her at all. And I'm like, okay, well, now I can see why she just said, no, I'm not going to do the whole accent thing anymore and just keep my natural accent because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh yeah that well she was great but the the accent yes. the accent did slip uh quite There's a so bit. many great performances in this oh yeah i mean billy bob thornton who he plays richard jemmins who i'm i'm assuming is um james carville right absolutely like that, that had to be i, I was wondering <laughs> who else would it be like the the, the <laughs> scene so like early on there's a scene when they go to like their campaign headquarters and Billy Bob Thornton's character like blatantly harasses a female staffer and Mm -hmm. like unzips his pants and like, like exposes himself to this female staffer. And I'm like, can that possibly be true? (laughs) Like could that, I can't see Carville doing that, but I mean, wow. They they really, I feel like they really uh, made his, his character, his character more than the others. I feel like it's just, straight out yeah. of like a veep uh, character just a complete yeah, caricature my, my, my takeaway from this if this is in any way true to the source material which was the anonymously published book which was later revealed to be by the time magazine columnist joe klein if that is that uh, if the depiction of like this complete caricature of a human being is in any way what the uh klein novel presents the not james carville out to be then i would assume that joe klein did not come away from covering the 92 campaign with a very positive impression of james carville and then you have uh, kathy bates in there in a fantastic role as libby she's so good in this so personally so my history with this movie is i watched like the first half of it actually in in high school in a class that i was taking about like law and government a uh, great teacher like I, it was like my teacher that I had for a bunch of stuff one of my very favorite teachers in my entire educational career uh, but he didn't show us the whole movie because he kind of started showing it to us on a whim and then he stopped like halfway through after that class period because he forgot how much cursing was in it and you probably needed a permission slip to screen it so yes yeah, <laughs> he told us say to finish it. it on our own time it is our um, yeah so I had only I hadn't seen the Kathy Bates performance well, I think I saw the, some of it later, but I hadn't seen the Kathy Bates performance like in its entirety until I watched it for this. And she is incredible in it. She is often incredible, but she she had a lot. They gave her a lot to work with. They gave her a few like sort of monologues to to work with. And she was um, fantastic. She, I think she was nominated for an Academy Award for her performance mm. in this. Great. Her character mm-hmm. is based on Betsy Wright, who was a consultant and in the movie she commits suicide in real life she did not commit suicide yes. uh, which makes people wonder like the whole narrative uh about like a longtime associate to the uh candidate becoming disillusioned with uh politics and eventually uh taking their own life makes people wonder uh think that there was also like 
that was also the the stories like Vince Foster analog as well. And then you have Adrian Lester in there as as Henry Burton, who is the uh, campaign manager, mm-hmm. the new campaign manager. Compared to the other like heavy hitters, I felt like he his performance was a little uh, a bit lacking in comparison. Mm-hmm. But I, I f- and and he's. He's also not given quite as much to do as the other characters because he's very much like the the lens of the story. Like you're seeing it mostly through his perspective. Henry Burton is the uh, the novel's analog for George Stephanopoulos, oh. a congressional staffer who uh, eventually joins the campaign and becomes over time like a key part of it. I was wondering because isn't there what's that uh, what's the documentary? Um, the War Room. The War the Room. Baker. Yes, that's that's what I was thinking of, and that's that's about Carville and Stephanopoulos, right? Yeah, it's I believe Mainly it's about the two of them. Yeah, uh huh. Yeah, I want to see that. I never saw that. Mm-hmm. I heard it's incredible. Mm-hmm. So uh, overall, I thought that this was, uh, you know, it was decent. It was too long. I thought it was just yes. That like uh, when I mentioned like that uh the uh that hunt for red october was an example of a movie that wore it's like roughly two hour 20 minute runtime well this is a movie that really doesn't yeah this is pushing two and a half hours and it's just like i I was i was feeling it i was feeling like it's second act it's one of those things where the second act goes on (laughs) where it feels like the uh like the space between primaries are happening in real time Anyway, so I've been watching this movie for about six weeks now, and we've now been through about four state primaries. <laughs> and it walks us through all the debates and everything, too. Yes. <laughs> the debates are all presented in full in real time. They're all uh, 120 minutes. Visually, I thought it was pretty average, uh, except for one scene, which stood out like way above like every other scene in the movie. And it was the scene when he was at the Krispy Kreme. And Mm -hmm. you have that amazing dolly shot that's just slowly pulling in and it's like in a parking lot and, but the Krispy Kreme is is... like completely lit up and what an incredible shot. And Mm -hmm. uh, that whole scene I thought was a really important scene in the movie too. So I'm glad that they put a lot of Mm -hmm. emphasis on that scene and specifically that shot because that, that sort of wowed me. Whereas the rest of it I thought was just average. thought the movie was pretty robustly shot i was actually generally on board with i thought it was like a pretty nicely shot movie but of course that one scene does just stand stand out yeah it's it's definitely a standout like yeah i had been a few years since i had seen like this the part of the movie that i saw in school i'm pretty sure i actually saw the rest of it later but didn't really make as much of an impression since i was like starting it later halfway through but the one thing that i remember clear as day from the first time seeing it is that shot I thought it was kind of interesting to see um, how they were portraying this this governor as this sort of he was not your typical candidate, right? He was not your typical uh, typical guy. He was more more down to earth, more seemingly honest, and mm-hmm. he was he was like not your average politician. He told people he told it like it was, and I think that that's why a lot of people found him to be refreshing and and like the bill clinton of of like the 92 campaign is like it's um it's like there's like a weird aura of like like political mythology around like what a retail campaigner he was i mean it's obviously kind of harrowing harrowing and 
like landmine ridden and possibly better off not doing it all to try and talk about Bill Clinton uh, in the year 2020. So we're not going to do that. But like in the context of this, I mean, first of all, just in a movie about a campaign, a lot of handshaking that felt like a horror movie right now. <laughs> yeah. There was that whole thing at the beginning where he was going yeah. over the different types it's like of going handshake. shaking ev- everybody's hand and talking like the different handshakes. And I was like, I'm so frightened. <laughs> <laughs> and all throughout the movie, of course, every campaign stop, you got to shake everybody's head. Yep. Yep. Something it, you never would have thought about at all until now. And oh, my God, everything is everything is horrifying now. Any any time I'm like yeah. watching, like I'm watching commercials on TV and there's things mm-hmm. happening in commercials on TV. And I'm just like, oh, no, 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 do like, not. I'm personally by nature, like a, like a handshake person. And I never realized how much I did it until I stopped. Oh, yeah. I mean, my. My big thing is the face touching. Like, mm-hmm. oh uh, yeah, I didn't realize I touched my face nine trillion times a day yeah. until now. It's 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 horrific. But we'll we'll get more into the uh, that that type of stuff in in just a yeah. minute. It's like because I knew that like so many people were like, a lot of people don't like shaking hands, and they were like happy that they don't. But I just realized I kind of do. Like I think that's like I always kind of like it like a, an important part to like begin and end like an an interaction mm-hmm. in in the context where you do where that's like expected and i didn't realize how much i kind of consider that a part of it until you stop we all stop doing it and now i'm like it's horrifying how much we just like have that level of contact with other people just arbitrarily <laughs> maybe we should do that less going forward i don't know maybe i mean who knows wherever this goes we we, we all might be just trained like it might just Every- be ingrained in us to not yeah. do that from now on Every assumption, yeah, we're we're gonna try and get this episode out as quickly as possible. Recording on on Monday the the on Monday the sixteenth. Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe every assumption we have, uh, every like you know, because you all know you're listening to this. You all know what how completely surreal the past several weeks have been, and how you kind of have this conception in your head about what this feels like and what this looks like. So we're on the Monday, March sixteenth conception of what this feels and looks like. And of course, it's just a giant fog going forward, except, you know, it's going to get worse. But um, who knows what this anyway, by the time it comes out, what what our headspaces are regarding this, like the information we know, the way it's impacting us as a society, the way it's going to uh, and the uh, just completely put a stranglehold in our already deeply, deeply inadequate healthcare system. Yeah, I mean. What was that? Uh, was it Friday when all that stuff was like hitting like one thing after the other, like the NBA yeah. and then the. Yeah, I that, think that was like, was it that Thursday? was like Wednesday, Thursday, oh, was it? through, I feel like it's hard to tell. <laughs> it was like, it was like the course of like three hours yeah. and like uh-huh. everything just yeah. went from bad to so much worse <laughs> in just that amount of time. That is like the, de- that is like a day that you later go on and say that like you tell stories about that day. <laughs> Like I can just see the like, montage. This is the story that our, it's, it's like that, the yeah. it's like the Soderbergh montage where it says like day day whatever, and then it's like boom, and then they just cut to the NBA closing and cut to the mm-hmm. president calling a state of emergency and all this other stuff that's like <laughs> going on. Oh yeah yeah. Oh uh, yeah, like the uh, this is the kind of thing where you know uh, the this is the kind of story that people uh, now will will bore their grandchildren by telling the stories of this time in the future one day but what a what a time uh, yeah it's crazy 
Uh, let's let's use that as a transition to, yeah. to move on. I will say one one last thing about primary colors. Be sure to vote this year, please. Vote, 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 <laughs> please is, vote. It is so important. It is so vitally important to everyone that you get out there and and vote. If you have a primary coming up in the next few weeks, try and vote by mail instead of going in person. Yeah, keep an eye on the news and see. Uh, I know yeah, that uh, so. today. They announced that Ohio Ohio, Ohio yeah. was pushing back their primary. So. Well, they're trying to. I don't know if they've gotten. The, yeah, there was a, the, a motion. The, they're yes. they're going to take it to court. Uh, the Louisiana primary was moved to June. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, please vote. <laughs> this is important. Let's just say, uh, without going into specifics, that more than ever we are seeing the difference between an administration that is uh, prepared and filled with qualified experts uh, and listens to qualified experts on how to manage a crisis, and one that does uh, not. Our third feature, and the inspiration behind this month's theme, concerns the rise of a global pandemic. Huh. Released on March 10th, 1995, and directed by Wolfgang Peterson, this is Outbreak. The virus spreads. We got 19 dead. We got 100 more infected, spreading like a brush fire. The panic rises. 260 million Americans will be dead or dying. The greatest medical crisis in history begins. There will be panic the likes of which we have never seen. Dustin Hoffman, Renee Russo, Morgan Freeman. We can't stop it. Outbreak, rated R, starts Friday, March 10th at a theater near you. A deadly airborne virus finds its way into the USA and starts killing people at an epidemic rate. Colonel Sam Daniels' job is to stop the virus spreading from a small town, which must be quarantined, and to prevent an overreaction by the White House. Imagine the problem being the White House is going to do too much. Yeah, I was going to say. I uh, mean, the thing that, uh, they, that, that almost happens is bad, obviously, but what a foreign concept. Yeah, so let's just say like the overreaction that they're referring to is literally wiping the town off the map, literally yeah. bombing a U.S. town and killing mm-hmm. everyone in it. So that, mm-hmm. that yes, that is a little bit of an overreaction. However, yes. you know, just imagining an overreaction at all from it, from the White House is just crazy. I know. Like, I, I feel like we need some sort of middle ground between, uh, between. What, what happened in real life and outbreak. We need we need some somewhere in yeah. the middle yeah. there. Mm-hmm. We don't want Trump bombing us, but well, <laughs> the, if this is good news, I don't know if this is ever good news. It's so widespread now. And continuing to be widespread, that there's no one place you can bomb. Yeah, that is that is true. Except West Virginia, oddly, does not have an infection. I don't Strange. know if you saw that. West Virginia, I did see that. West Virginia is coronavirus free. Yeah. So the governor of West Virginia, while declaring an emergency today, still attempted to say, still completely refuses to close anything at all. Basically. <laughs> Uh, even though i guess he's like well hey we didn't get it yet so yeah even though which is there being no confirmed cases just means that no tests have come back positive and been verified as like being positive tests it i'm like you know that doesn't mean that there aren't tons of people in the state that probably have the virus right now as do in every other state that have just not been tested because we don't have enough tests (laughs) yeah uh as of last week there was like there's like 60 tests done in New York uh-huh. City as of last week. We'll get yeah. more tests. We're hoping, it looks like we're about to turn a bend where we're starting to get more tests soon. Why not? Yeah. 
well, I know that they're they're working on like the drive-through ones mm-hmm. too, and and did stuff you, like did that. Did you hear that he that the president uh completely like made up the thing about the uh the Google like drive-through test referral thing? Yeah, yeah. Like it's not a thing that they have yet. Uh, yeah, that was one of like three or four lies he told during that during that briefing. Yeah. Yeah, which I guess is a low number for him, but anyway. Uh. So Outbreak is one of the few... There's not too many movies like this. There's not too many like uh, pandemic-style movies. There really aren't. I mean, the one everyone's been watching this week is... Well, either this one because it's on Netflix or they've been renting Contagion. Right, yeah, of course. Like, So I actually watched rewatched Contagion this week as well, just, just because. I, I, I have not seen it. I figure it's a matter of days before I finally do, though. You should. I mean, it, I yeah. think of the two big ones, Contagion is the more realistic of mm-hmm. of them, and the way that the way that uh, Contagion plays out feels much more horrifying because it's like in, in Contagion, it starts in China, and the way that it spreads, it has like, there's flu-like symptoms. This mm-hmm. movie... The, outbreak is much more hollywood it's it's much they, more they try to yeah they try to say that it's an ebola like virus but for whatever the disease the film end up putting the disease as it may as well just be like a completely made up sci-fi disease yeah there's not a whole lot of hard science behind this movie it's there it's, is not <laughs> there's a helicopter chase Let's just put it that way. There, there is an extended helicopter chase scene in this movie. So, you know, we're not we're not working with a, a heavy realism in this movie. Now, no. that being said, uh, I did, used- you, did you know that the monkey in this is apparently the same monkey that was Ross's monkey yeah. on Friends? Yeah, this is the Marcel or whatever it was. I can't remember his name. Yeah. I haven't seen much of Friends. I just remember hearing that since people have been suddenly watching this movie over the past few days. It's a bad movie. Uh, It's not good. It's It's not very good at all. It's it's pretty bad. I remember I I really liked this when I was It makes very little sense. Yeah. When when you watch it now, you're just like, oh, boy, is it. This movie is so bad. There's like so much exposition in it. And there's, there's all these characters who feel like they're just straight up talking to the camera like the dialogue is so bad and the uh i mean the helicopter chase alone is there's a helicopter chase you're just like what what is going on here there is such a helicopter chase it's not very good but it is entertaining and it is uh i think uh, it's a pretty fun movie to get through even though it, i think is has a lot of flaws a lot of flaws mm-hmm. It's a movie where it seems like continually detached from its own ideas in a way. Like there's just the main problem is that there just feels like a lack of communication between what the mo- the direction the movie wants to go in, the direction it does go in. Like they're of separate minds. It feels like it just generally eventually does not have much control over its uh, own ability to evolve the plot. So it just kind of goes in whatever direction it wants to go in, which is how we do get to helicopter chase. Everything, everything in it feels like it happened out of convenience. Like everything yes. feels co- so coincidental and like it, it had to happen exactly like this for this to play out. And it just, a lot of it felt, I, what is it kind of lazy? Like the, just on the script, on the script level. I just, mm-hmm. 
was not very a lot of the there were a lot of kind of eye rolling moments with the dialogue in this now yes that's not to say that there weren't like good good performances dustin hoffman was in this and he was he was pretty great in it even though he had some silly silly stuff to deal with everyone has some silly stuff in this (laughs) yeah uh renee russo's in there playing his ex-wife who we you know of course as soon as she's introduced we're like oh well something's gonna happen they're gonna get together they're gonna get to yeah they're they're this this crisis is gonna cause them to rekindle their love for one another this movie it plays out like a disaster film i mean that's that's really how this is structured this is this is like a Mm -hmm. roland emmerich film right here yeah and you've got those like periodic set pieces Mm -hmm. of uh like the scene in the theater where one guy is like spreading the the virus everywhere oh yeah which is not a bad scene i mean no, I love that scene. Yeah, it's a pretty well done scene. I love the theater, the theater spreading mm-hmm. scene. It's done way better in Contagion, though. Contagion, the way that Soderbergh shoots the the spread of it in Contagion, it's like a horror movie. It's so good, mm-hmm. and it starts out like he opens the film with it just spreading everywhere, and you mm-hmm. just you know like where he has the camera fixed, you're just like, oh, it's on that mug it's on that person's hand it's going here there it goes it's going it's going <laughs> the next place and i think i think it's like i think soderbergh saw the outbreak it was like i can do better i can make it better yeah. because it follows a lot of the same beats you have like this really large ensemble cast and they're dealing with this fast spreading virus this pandemic that occurs in the united states and the sort of uh, turmoil that it puts the country in but Soderbergh just does every single beat like so much better than what mm-hmm. happens in this movie. Mm. And that's, that's kind of the other thing that makes it feel almost like a disaster film is you have this really large cast of, of characters who are, you know, largely fairly lifeless for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cuba Gooding Jr. In there, this is an, I think an earlier role for him. This is, is this pre Jerry Maguire? Yeah, I think it's pre- Jerry Maguire was ninety six. Yeah, yeah. So th- this is a pre Jerry Maguire Cuba Gooding Jr. and I thought he was he was pretty good in it, um, adding some levity to it. He was a little bit of uh, a little bit of a comic comic relief mm-hmm. character. And I I liked I liked his. Uh, then, then again, this is a movie where sometimes the dialogue itself is the comic relief. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> big time. With all that, as you point out, all the all the heavy exposition. With like capital letters. It, it's so ridiculous. How this just, is the important part of the about the plot that you should know. Like I, I almost felt, I almost felt like they should just be looking straight at the camera when they're when they're talking to us. Yeah, there's a very young Patrick Dempsey in this. Yeah, in a very critical role if you really think about it. Yeah, Jimbo Scott. Yeah, what a character name. <laughs> uh, Morgan Freeman in there, um, and then. You have Kevin Spacey in there too, who we won't we won't discuss him. All I'll say is, as many people have pointed out, at least you get to watch Spacey's character suffer terribly. Yeah, he does get the he does get the virus because he's an idiot. Yes. Like, yes, you you would think you would think that if this is your job, that you would know <laughs> how to properly. Uh, That's the thing about the characters in this movie. Some of them just have no idea what they're doing. Yeah, they're they're just lost. They're completely lost. So overall, I think Outbreak is uh, not a good movie, but it is pretty entertaining. It is 
a little bit long as well. This is over two hours long as well. Probably didn't have to be. No, I don't think it had to be. It's and, not like there's so much important information here that they needed to. And again, like it's it's one of those movies where after Contagion comes out, there's no point in revisiting Outbreak to me, at least. It's like oh, it's like uh, there's this. That's my general feeling that of why no one talks about this movie anymore till the last ten days. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it doesn't happen a lot in movies where a movie will come out and like theoretically replace another movie where you're just like well i don't have to watch that ever again it happens a lot in video games where like a sequel to a video game will come out and it'll be so much better than like the original or the the last one that'll just completely eclipse it in every way and you're just like well you don't have to go back and play the first one you just start with this one because it's like the same one but just way better Mm -hmm. doesn't happen a lot in movies but i think that this is a situation where if you want to see something, if you're if you're stuck inside and you want to yeah, get get even more scared than you already are, I'd say watch Contagion. I will give some credit to the theater scene and also the sequence uh, where they realize that the disease is airborne in the hospital. That was cool. I mean, how he yeah yeah like the, so the, the, the one the, the one or through the air vent. Mm-hmm. That was definitely cool. It's it, it has its moments for sure. I don't think it's like a complete waste of time or anything like that. I enjoyed revisiting it, but yeah. So this was a Wolfgang Peterson who did go on to make air force one and whose most recent like blockbuster. He did. Okay. He didn't make a, a German film a few years ago. I was so most recent blockbuster. I want to say that his most recent movie I thought was the remake of the Poseidon adventure, which I totally forgot existed by the way. I, saw it on cable a very long time ago and then i rewatched it a couple years ago it is bad oh really you don't say i yeah i mean it's not terrible okay it actually might be terrible i didn't see it effects were nice (laughs) a lot of water i used to really love disaster movies my dad is a is a big fan of like cheesy disaster movies for some reason oh my my dad too i don't know why like it's it's not like the great dad genre it's it's not typical of him though like he he usually likes more artistic films but like that's i guess one of his it's a great dad genre yeah it must be it it must be it but he he really likes the very busy lots of characters lots of stuff going on yeah i mean my dad likes some of like the 70s disaster movies like design adventure towering inferno and it's like a natural progression with them because they all build to at the end of that trend in the 70s, one of his very favorite movies of all time, Airplane. Of course. Great movie. Yeah, one one that we've talked about a bunch on this show, which, yeah. is, which is funny because it's uh, not even close to being a 90s movie, no. but I guess it was that influential. All discussions about movies eventually lead to Airplane, maybe. It's one of those movies where it's, its influence is such that like any discussion of movie could hypothetically come back to it sooner or later. Yeah. You've got those movies that just kind of put themselves there and they're always like in your peripheral vision. And that's one of them. Classic. It's a classic. Mm-hmm. Undisputed. Uh, so I got to say, like, I was already pretty scared about the uh, COVID-19 before s- watching this. So, like, I watched this after I watched it a couple days ago. So it was after, like, kind of the, the big stuff started going down. And the cases I watched started it exploding right before the big stuff started going down. <laughs> oh, which even then it still feels like it takes. I still feels like the, 
Wednesday or Tuesday or whenever it was still feels like a completely different world than now. It really does. I, I feel like all of a sudden over the course of like two days, we're now living in a new era. Like this is the new normal yeah. that we're living mm-hmm. in. And I, I think that uh, you and I were talking a little bit about this offline, the the ramifications that this is going to have, especially in like yes. the movie industry, the film industry is taking a huge hit right now. Yeah, yeah. it mm-hmm. feels like such like a, a it's such a small part of how this is like impacting people, but it might. But, you know, you think just think about how it like it is like the effect it has on the film industry is an example of how it's like impacting every level of our society and our and just every sector of the economy. Yeah, I mean, we're going to be seeing the ripple effects from this for quite a for long time. Years and years. Because you got to think, like, uh, you know, all, all the big releases in the near future have been taken off the 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 the, uh, the calendar. As, 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 as I've stressed 1,000 times to various people, like, especially on our Slack channel, the next North American wide release as of March 16th at 8 p.m. Eastern time is Trolls World Tour. <laughs> you know i wouldn't maybe it's just in three weeks maybe it's just too late for them to but i, I would be but I, but then you can't say that because movies coming out this friday were moved off the schedule th- that's true yeah did you see for like first cal um that they a24 pulled that um that and that wasn't that supposed to be but out? it was already in release wasn't it i think it, i think it was I it think was it, already out and they pulled it i i believe so either that or they're going to Maybe they didn't pull it so much as all the theaters are closed, so they're just going to yeah. plan a re-release of it. Mm-hmm. Either way, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, movies that were coming out as soon as this week have been have been shelved. Uh, Quiet Place Part 2 was supposed to come out this Friday, and that's that's no longer happening. It's, uh, it's kind of wild, and mm-hmm. it, so it makes you think, like, okay, so there's now the, going to be this large gap. We don't even know. Like, it, it could be months yes. that there's going to be this mm-hmm. gap where there's no new uh, wide releases in theaters coming mm-hmm. out, and all of those movies have to go somewhere, right? Because there's all these movies that are they're done. They're ready to go. Yeah, so it's I gonna, think... It's going to push everything else back. Either that or you're going to have, like this onslaught of movies yeah, coming out. Yeah, there might be a weird time like uh, like sometime later uh, where there's like weeks where like 25 movies are coming out. Yeah, because they got to squeeze them in. And uh, so there's there's going to be, it's going to be a weird time for I wonder if some of like the smaller ones that the studios don't care very much about, they might like, if they have a platform for it, they might like kind of limit it and kind of day and date it. I, I have a feeling, I mean, so Universal was... Just today, they announced that they're going to be releasing the Trolls movie day and date and on, on VOD platforms. And they're also releasing The Hunt, which came out last weekend or the weekend before last. It came out this past Friday. Okay. They're going to release that and The Invisible Man and I think Emma, which is also in theaters right now. That came out a few weeks ago and um, maybe some other ones that I'm not thinking about right now but those are all going to be out on vod i have to imagine if universal is taking this step that that other distributors will as well hmm. yeah you think that like some a, a good company like disney with its own well-established streaming platform is probably the one that could do that the most effectively yeah and they did since they, they're already releasing some of their titles to it early 
Yeah, they are releasing Frozen 2 early. Uh, I mean, of course, you know, when they announced that, I'm just like, come on. Like, that's not you doing us a solid. That's you. That was something that was going to happen. They, they you, Even if this had not happened in like a few weeks anyway. They were like, oh, everybody's at home right now. Let's use this as an opportunity. We could probably sell a lot more Disney Plus subscriptions if we give them a new title. Because I don't think they had any like new titles planned for this. You know, like if mm-hmm. if the Mandalorian season two was going to be out like now during this this whole thing where everyone's in quarantine, they probably wouldn't have done the Frozen two thing. But they were like, you know what? This is a good opportunity for us. Make some money here. Sell some subscriptions. That's just mm-hmm. me putting my like tinfoil hat on. But yeah, I mean, it's clearly a situation where uh, everyone's responding to it in real time. I mean, it's not like it's not like there's much else uh, you could really do about it. And someone was talking about how like completely like cursed and unfortunate like the re- the release history of the movie the hunt has been just, just because it had it went through so much like you know the like fox news basically tried to kill its first release date uh which they succeeded in uh because then uh trump started complaining about it you know a bunch of people complaining about a movie they hadn't seen and so then they move it to this week of all weeks and someone was saying that release date that movie is just cursed and i'm like if there's any movie cursed here it's like um the new mutants yeah, New Mutants is... <laughs> Which has now oh. been moved 847 times, I want to say. Yeah, it was April 2018 that was supposed to come out. Yeah, I, actually, this movie might qualify for this podcast because I'm pretty sure it was shot in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I have been enjoying all of the sort of memes that have been coming out of New Mutants not coming out ever, which is really unfortunate. I was I was excited for that movie, and now I, it's like I don't I don't I'm not even sure what's been plaguing that movie. Like other than yeah, this this most recent thing because um, the other moves have been by my memory completely unexplained. Yeah, um, there was a rumor that there were reshoots being done. However, uh, I can't remember who directed that, but he the Josh Boone. Oh yeah, Josh. Boone. I mean Josh Boone. Josh like he said it's that, now been. Six years since his last movie, and it's not like he was not working between them. He basically this movie went into production in pre-production, basically right after the Fault in Our Stars came out. It's apparently there were were no reshoots done, mm-hmm. so it's like what what's going on? Is it bad? I mean, like <laughs> maybe maybe the the uh, Disney Fox merger thing or uh, not merger, but they the the buyout the disney acquisition yeah the acquisition uh maybe that what a weird thing that happened i still think of it what a weird thing that that just happened and everyone just kind of went eh, okay like we're just accepting it yeah yeah very strange very strange to think about that i think about that was always my prediction is that we're going is that as a hypothetical everyone would not like it but then as soon as it happened that we were just going to accept it on site I mean, what can you do? Oh, sorry, sorry. Twentieth Century Studios now. <laughs> yes. Excuse me. Oh, I, I, yeah. That actually reminds me. I was there was a a release that came out. I can't. It was a, it was a trailer for something or a poster or something that we did as a news story. And the they Twentieth uh, Century Studios emailed me and was like, "Can you change it?" Because I put Twentieth Century Fox <laughs> in the article. Like the first time, and I'm sure everyone reacted the same way. The first time you, everyone saw, at least for me, the first time I saw the 20th Century Studios logo, 
it, I kind of like felt a revulsion to it almost. Like I was, well, no revulsion maybe is a strong word. I was just kind of, it felt like rejecting it. Like I didn't know what that was. Yeah, it wasn't right. It wasn't right. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I emailed them back and I'm like, oh yeah, sorry. Like I keep forgetting. And they, they replied and they're like, yeah, we, we are too. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just, it's weird. It's a, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. It's a weird time we're living in. We can't go outside. There's no toilet this paper. The- <laughs> Everybody's buying all the toilet it paper says- for some reason. Toilet paper. What's happening? And like we were talking off, off, uh, off, like about this, uh, people buying perishable foods in bulk. What are you doing? People, people? buying milk and bread. What's going in on in bulk? Here? Stay inside. People... Don't be idiots. Come on. Yeah. People just want to feel like they're doing something. And then you go around and you see. I'm sure. You go on your my one on my Instagram like a couple times this past weekend, and everybody was still out. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's people going to like St. Patrick's Day parties and yeah and stuff and crowded and closed spaces. From from what I under- exact place you're not supposed to be. Now, as as we mentioned before, all the all the restaurants and bars and stuff are are closed now in New York. Yeah, they're closed now. But uh, they're closed. over the yeah, weekend. Over Everything the, was open. Yeah, over the weekend they were all open, and I was seeing you know things pop up on my Twitter feed of people at the at the bars and stuff in New York, and it's just like, are you, are you kidding me? Yeah, like what? But like what are you doing? I, I, well, yeah, uh, I think the mantra that's been going around the, uh, is like people saying like this is just not like an extended spring break. Yeah, this is like we're telling you to not go anywhere. Like the, the the people who understand this, the people shaping public policy, the experts on this, they are telling us not to go anywhere for a very specific and important reason. Uh, the the thing that I like about this is that it's like uh, I I don't know if you saw anything about it, the 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 fact that this is like the Gen Xers like time. This is like their time in the sun or or <laughs> you know dank apartment yeah. so to speak because <laughs> like. The, all of the 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 millennials and younger people are still they're still going out spreading the infection the boomers are all the ones who are getting it and unfortunately getting very sick from it mm-hmm. meanwhile the gen xers are just like all right i'll stay at home <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> i'm i'm cool with that that's yeah. that's my life i guess i guess you're like a i don't know one the on the millennial gen x buffer i, I i'm an elder millennial i believe they're mm-hmm. called I think uh, elder millennial. I think millennials start in eighty. The last like, they say eighty. I, they say eighty two, eighty three. Yeah. I don't know. What they say, I feel more like a Gen X. person. You have a lot of Gen X energy. Yeah, I think I'm. I'm more of that ilk than the millennials. For my gen, for my generation at least, they weren't sure whether people like, like they knew that people born in the two thousands were definitely Gen Z. They didn't know about people born like towards the end of the nineties. So they didn't know what. So so for a while they went back and forth about like whether or not people born in like the l- later part of the '90s, like me, were millennial or Gen Z. They seem to be settling on the Gen Z side. So I'm an I'm an elder Z or Z <laughs> if you're British, I guess. I, I've also seen that generation referred to as Zoomers. <laughs> I like that. That's very funny. <laughs> I've seen that. Our final title this month marks the inevitable end to this journey, a dystopian future where the world is a savage wasteland and kangaroo people inhabit the earth. Directed by Rachel Talalay and released on March 31st, 1995, this is Tank Girl. In the future, the odds of survival are a thousand 
to one. Sir, we've got action! And that's just Hell. the way she likes it. The critics call Tanker the best sci-fi post-apocalypse comic book movie yet. Uh, tasty. Four stars. This movie kicks major butt. Never had this much fun in a movie, and probably never will. Tank Girl starts Friday at theaters everywhere. Based on the British cult comic strip, a tank-riding anti-heroine fights a megacorporation which controls the world's water supply. So I suppose it will not surprise too many people who have listened to this podcast regularly and kind of heard which movies I do and don't like that I like this movie quite a bit. Nice. Adam, what did you think? There's a certain charm about Tank Girl. This was a movie that when it came out, I didn't see it initially. I, it was rated R. And mm-hmm. as much as I like wanted to see it, I never got around to it until it was, I think, on TV. This is probably the first time I, I caught this movie. And I've seen it several times since then. I think it's a bad movie, uh, but I still find a lot of charm with it. I still enjoy revisiting it from time to time, but I think it's pretty awful. Like as far as the, like, I think I, I like what it represents and I like a lot of the just goofy over the top nature of it. Yeah. I I mean that the, like the, I feel like it does have a certain level of control over like how it's practicing being over the top in that sense. And just that ability that I feel like in the movie to, uh, kind of create its world around that idea and I think do it quite well is just something that I was really really on board with uh, it's like it's very colorful it's vivid it's got like comic book inserts to it I mean I just I had a really good time with this I think that uh, first of all I think the editing is very poorly done I didn't I, I, <laughs> sometimes the editing is not great I guess I didn't like the comic book inserts because they were way overused I mean they were they were, they were used. arbitrarily used but for some reason I like them they were used so much. There were like certain ones where they like repeat, they like repeat certain uh, images and stuff too. So it's not like mm-hmm. they, I mean, they're just so much, so many of these like interstitial comic book. It felt like it was like a documentary on, on tank girl. It felt like I was watching a tank girl documentary where they were doing uh-huh. these like transitions where they're like fast moving the panels around and stuff and twisting them. And like, th- those were transitions between some talking head talking about like how it started as a, in a, in a fanzine or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like they were so arbitrarily used, but for some reason I didn't mind that. I'll tell you uh, what, just sort of sticking with the, the use of that, what I did like, and this is something that I almost never like in movies is the animation at the end when they mm-hmm. did the whole, when the getaway was occurring and they, did, and that was all animated. Like normally I look at that as that's, that's a cop out. Like they didn't have enough money to shoot that live action. So they just did some, you know, slap shot crappy animation, <laughs> but the animation in this was actually really good. And, I found that that sequence was more interesting than the actual movie and looked better than the actual movie to me. <laughs> like, I just want an animated tank girl movie now. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? No, I think that this is something, this is like an ongoing thing that I say a lot during this show, but watching this movie, you're just like, yeah, this is, this is nineties. This came out in the nineties because this... There were so many, like a... so many things. There were so many like pop culture references and 
tropes of the 90s in this movie that you're just like well it, it just really checks all the boxes so if you're looking yes. for something that is very quintessentially 90s this is it big time yeah it is it is uh superbly and beautifully 90s and since it's set in 11 years since it's like it's set in 2033 but 11 years after the event which causes the apocalypse of the film uh so 2022 i now hope that the that somehow we get pop culturally to a point in 2022 where we could freeze it put it in a post-apocalyptic setting and you would have the pop culture of the world of tank girl that'd be great because what a world <laughs> what a what a world yes so it, it is uh very much like this sort of mad max world but it it is it pulls in a lot of the grungy style that you see in a lot a lot of 90s movies during this time like think of the the scene in hackers like when they're they're in that like club or i whatever. always think about scenes in a hackers adam <laughs> it's it's like that you know like that club where everybody's rollerblading in there or the scene in teenage mutant ninja turtles when they go to the in the foot clan hideout that's like a late 80s movie but still it's pretty i think it applies but- here Finally, another movie in this podcast to add to my movies I'm always thinking about from the podcast alongside. So now alongside the Rage Carry 2 and Hackers and Hocus Pocus will be Tank Girl. It is. I think about Tank Girl a good bit. Mm. It's a it's definitely one that sticks with you. Like you said, I like the the vivid use of color in it. The sets were just ridiculously done and over the top. The. I love the wardrobe changes that Lori Petty has. Like, like there's like, I don't even understand how it happens. Like from scene to scene, her hair will completely change and she's and wearing, gotta love it. And she's wearing complete, a completely different outfit every scene. And I kind of best lo- hairstyling Oscar. It was <laughs> robbed of it. This I, movie was robbed of that Oscar. I, I really loved how that, how that um, happened. And I think that that played into the, just the comic book, style i think that they did a good job or they did a uh an admirable job in translating the comic strip to live action i feel like during this time people still weren't quite sure how to adapt comic books into movies like it had been this they should have all been adapted like this (laughs) this was done like like a lot of people were thinking like oh we, we want we want to make it as close to the comic book as possible so that that's when you have like the panels in this stuff and everything's really bright and colorful and they try to make it look exactly like the drawings and the artwork in the comics and sometimes it translates and sometimes it doesn't i think in this in this movie the the tone of the tank girl story it it actually does fit within that visual style even if i didn't like the comic book the overuse of the comic book panel stuff and well i like the style and i liked the comic book panel so i just had a great time and i I think that we've maybe we've touched on this before on the show but this was during a time when a lot of comic book adaptations were happening but just not superheroes you have movies like the crow coming out and you have all these because this is during like the indie comic boom and so you have all of these like sort of darker more adult themed comic books that are getting adapted into movies and they're not really touching the superhero stuff because those are not really working in movie form as of Mm. you know 95 but and how many other movies from 1995 have so much cole porter music in it (laughs) yeah a lot (laughs) <laughs> yeah this this has a quite a, quite a good soundtrack uh i love the oh, scene yes. there's a scene when they play a 
believe it's a face-to-face song uh during this like sort of car it was the the scene when she's in the tank and she's trying to stop the the truck that has the co- the coffins or not well yeah i guess they're sort of coffins they don't know that but mm-hmm. the scene the the car chase shootout scene when they're playing the face-to-face song i thought it was really cool Again, with yeah. the, the, again, the editing, uh, I didn't, it wasn't just the comic book panels. I thought a lot of the just cuts were really rough and there were certain scenes that happened when like, it looked like they left, uh, like a little, like maybe two frames of another scene in there. Cause it felt really jarring and you could see like the split second of this other scene and it just didn't, it was just really, really sloppy to me and mm. there was a lot of really bad adr work in this too where you can clearly see the person's yeah. face and their mouth uh-huh. is not moving and there were a couple scenes when like they wanted to add in some like one-liners from Lori petty and like it didn't match at all it, like it sounded like it was voiceover and it, that was a little bit jarring as well mm-hmm. i thought Lori petty was uh, a good choice to play tank girl even though she was a little annoying i think that that's just the nature of the character mm-hmm. and then you have naomi watts in there in an early role for her as jet girl and she was and, uh, she was good and yeah then, yeah mm-hmm. and ice tea as tea, obviously as gotta have ice tea as tea saint uh, and I don't, I don't, in a role i don't think people talk about enough where he plays, then they should talk about it more where he plays a mutant kangaroo who hasn't you know that's this world. This is this is a world of mutant kangaroos. Do you think we'll get mutant kangaroos soon? You know, I I would normally say no, but uh-huh. really, hour to hour, I don't know what's going. That feels happen. like the only. That doesn't feel like even the top ten most unexpected things that could happen. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. Like if if you asked me in December of 2019 if I thought that we were going to be dealing with a global pandemic in a couple months, I'd be like, no, probably not. But here we are. Yeah, that's the thing. That's why I, I not only mention around the general time we're recording episode is something I might talk about, but um, that's why I'm mentioning the hour. Yeah. Because <laughs> this is a thing that just moves so fast. So by the time you hear it, uh, the entire like tenor that we're taking towards this, where we, we still feel able to generally talk about things in a lighthearted tone while acknowledging the grave seriousness of it who knows what the tone is by the time you hear this even if it's tomorrow yeah yeah we were discussing this before the show like this is gonna get a whole lot worse before it gets better i normally we take some time to edit and i'm not in like a big rush to get the episode up because most of our episodes are pretty evergreen like you can just listen to them anytime and there are there are there are episodes in our past uh in our past of the show where um for scheduling consideration reasons we had to record an episode like over a month before it came out and And it was fine and that's just how we had to do it with this one we were like yeah it might be completely different like everything that we're talking about now might be completely irrelevant by tomorrow so Uh I'll try to get this up as soon as possible. If anything, we should have live streamed this episode. (laughs) Yeah, that's really the only way to do it these days. Uh Uh, I can't keep up. I I think Tank Girl is not a great movie, but I I did have uh, a pretty good time revisiting this now. I I don't know how long it's been since I've seen it. Years and years, like probably a decade since I've seen this. 
It's still this movie too. It's it's under two hours, but it's still longer mm-hmm. than I would have expected. It's in a sense, yeah. But uh, I couldn't I couldn't complain. I I, I kind of did enjoy being in the in the world. The movie I thought handled it quite well, and uh, well, Malcolm McDowell having a lot of fun with it. Also, as the uh, primary antagonist, I'd somehow be remiss if we didn't round out the primary cast by mentioning him. Yes, of course he. The, the funny thing is like, so he gets in this accident, right? Where he, he requires this uh, amount of like cybernetic surgery done. And for like, maybe like four, three or four scenes, they, he's in the scene, but they deliberately don't show his face. And you're just like, well, mm-hmm. man, what's going on? He's going to be like a monster or something. And he comes back and he's just the same thing. He just has, <laughs> he just has a metal hand. He has like a metal uh. arm. And you like, why would they, do that why would they like deliberately try to shield his face and i'm like wondering in the script was it like was he going to be like some kind of robot or something and then they were like oh we can't can't afford this we can't can't afford to do this so they made him like just look normal but he's a hologram he has a hologram head (laughs) for for whatever reason like why did they have to cut off his head and turn him into a hologram i don't know and it turns out malcolm mcdowell is the kind of actor who can really wear like a metallic or a metallic like future uh robot villain arm very well yeah he can like there's a lot going on on that hand there's like weapons and stuff Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not a lot of actors could and then you wonder why hasn't malcolm mcdowell been more part cyborg in more of his films it's a great question. I don't know. I don't know. He 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 pulled it off. I mean, he's a great villain in anything he's yes. in. So so he he just he was hamming it up in this, and he played a good villain. He was the like the the owner or CEO or whatever of Power and Water. So like this in this in this world, there's this mega corporation that controls all the power and all the water, and they're like hoarding it, hoarding it for themselves, and everyone else is just dying all the kangaroo people and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, imagine uh, tank girl could use a remake. I think, yeah, I think it now, now's a good time to, to remake tank girl and just have it be the same vibe. Have it be yeah, that kind I mean, of nineties. Yeah. Uh huh. Like, cause you know, we're, we're starting to see more nineties throwbacks now. And I think it'd be really fun to have this the, sort the, of truly the impact of this pod. That's what it is. Obviously. Mm hmm. I think it'd be fun to have this sort of, you know, zine inspired nineties tank girl come out and just have it be better than this. And, you know, and of course, well, I think it's a pretty good time as is, (laughs) but just the, as I mentioned, I mean, everything you didn't like, I thought there was just the right amount of, so you thought there was too much, I guess, and I thought there was just enough. And, you know, imagine even just a distant sci-fi abstract concept as necessary resources being held in the hands of a few powerful people who refuse to let anyone else have it, even in times of complete desperate need, and guard it villainously. I know we're getting back onto the coronavirus topic here, but uh, mm-hmm. the the whole, like, WHO having the tests and the president being, like, not accepting the tests back in mm-hmm. January, I think that was is <laughs> baffling. What is going on uh, here? Of <sighs> course, yeah. I mean, so that's Tank Girl. Yeah, we're in a bit of a mood today, as I'm sure everyone is. 
it's definitely not your typical show. You know, it's weird, like watching watching late night shows that have no audience. No audience. Yeah. No audience. That's I I saw, I saw some of John Oliver's show. Uh, apparently, like not only did he not have an audience, he couldn't record in the studio he normally records in because it was like a, someone who works there did did test positive for uh, COVID nineteen. So they record they taped the show without an audience in this like blank void of like an it's like a nondescript like stage with just like a bright white background. Yep, it's kind of eerie. It's it's very bizarre with no audience because at first you're just like ah that's not that big of a deal it won't play that much of a role but in comedy shows like late night talk shows they rely on laughs right so you have a show where like john oliver's cracking jokes left and right and there's no laughter at all it's just dead silent so i'm thinking like yeah it's awkward for us to watch that but it's probably way more awkward for them yeah because i'm just imagining because he was because i saw that episode too and he was saying that like he had a very uh, like a bare bones crew. So he probably had like uh, a, 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 like a boom mic guy and a camera guy and maybe a producer. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's could be it, you know, in the, in the whatever room they were in. And so he's sitting there, there's probably a teleprompter and a camera in front of him and he's yeah. doing the show and like, no like dead silent in the room. Yeah. Like I think, I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I just, I, no feedback, no energy. Yeah. I mean, he, he, crushed it he did an amazing job but I, i'm just imagining mm-hmm. if it were me like i think i would have a really hard time it just performing like that mm-hmm. well i thought um i saw some of the show that colbert did the other day and he thought it did pretty well i think what they made it what he made it sound like i didn't see the whole thing was that that like the the the, the show that aired was like the rehearsal so it was kind of just looser anyway it was just mostly him like interacting with the crew directly so I guess that's how you kind of give it some kind of like back and forth energy. Yeah, I didn't I didn't see it, but I saw on Twitter people saying that um, Samantha Bee's show is similar where hmm. she would like break character more in, during the, oh, in, yeah. during I'll, the show. I'll, I'll have to see that then. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, it's just, yeah. again, just, very... just seeing the small ways that it's like impacting just like parts of are like society or culture that you wouldn't think about and just like seeing it. Yeah. This is filtering down at every single level and it's just there at every level. Yes. It's very strange. And I think, uh, I mean, it seems like it's only going to get more, it's only going to get stranger from here, folks. It's only going to get, yeah. Like I said, like that's what, um, that's what they, all the experts have been saying. Like this, this gets worse before it gets better. This is not, (sighs) On, so, that, on that note, I yeah, think we can... Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, I guess we just close the show off here. Um, as I said before we recorded, I did want to... I'm sure you've all heard this one billion times, but it bears repeating, like from the... Just reading this off the CDC's website, as always. Uh, wash your hands with soap and water for 20 seconds. And in general, uh, you know, stay home, practice social distancing. This is... We all have to do our part here. Absolutely. And I love the term social distancing and I'm going to be using it all the time. Even after this, Mm -hmm. this pandemic is over. Mm -hmm. My life is based on social distancing. (laughs) I mean, before, before and after this, my life will be based on social distancing. Same. 
Uh, I think that's going to do it for this month. I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy during this turbulent time. And I thank you very much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to 90s at filmpulse.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at 90s pod. Also, please remember to give us a review on iTunes. If you get a moment, that would be awesome. For Ken Bakley, my name is Adam Patterson. This has been Saved by the 90s. Bye, everyone. And wash your hands.